Good morning, church family. It is good for us to be here together today. It is good to worship the Lord. I am glad that you are here. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to make sure that you are worshiping God. If you're visiting with folks, we are glad that you are here. Uh, Again, we're glad for all the McClarties who are here. I think there's about half of whatever county you guys live in, I'm sure, are here. Uh, Mr. Durley turned 90 uh, this weekend, so we are thankful for that and thankful for his family joining us. And if you're visiting with us for whatever reason, we're glad you're here. Uh, Brothers and sisters, church family here at JA, we are glad that you are here as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We'll be there in just a few minutes. If you're using one of the pew Bibles, that'll be on page number 5. Genesis chapter 6 is on page number 5 in your pew Bible. I want to start with uh, letting you go about something that's coming up. Uh, Starting this Wednesday and throughout the rest of the summer, uh, June and July, we're having the Summer of Sweet Fellowship. Uh, We had this last year as well, but what we'll be doing on Wednesday nights at 6.30 is all of our adults will have our regular kids' classes, so certainly want to make sure we have those for them, but all of our adults will be meeting over in the small auditorium, not starting this Wednesday, but next Wednesday we'll be in the small auditorium. This Wednesday we'll be in here, and our theme is Dwell on These Things. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, consider or dwell on these things. Those of us who are Christians here today, I know that you want to be a better Christian. And Paul tells the church at Philippi, if you want to be a better Christian, think about godly, heavenly things. I mean, that's easy to say, perhaps hard to do. So each of our lessons uh, on these Wednesday nights starting in June will be on one of each of these subjects. How do we dwell on, think about, focus on these things? And we'll have various men of the congregation who will be our speakers. We'll have a lot of singing, and then we'll have a devotional that will be on those topics. So we hope that you will come and be a part of that. And then maybe the best part, and definitely the part that always brings people in, there'll be food afterwards every Wednesday. Uh, So if you make sure that you can come and be a part of those things, details are in the bulletin and also in your daily update email so check all of that out and please make sure that you come and be a part of that this morning we're continuing our series a week two of uh, lord willing a four-week series on the waiting room and we're talking about what does it mean to wait what does it mean to wait on the lord Uh, last week we talked about waiting with uncertainty Waiting when you don't know what's going on. Waiting when you're uh, in the hospital emergency room and you don't know what's going to happen with your loved one or with yourself. Waiting after you get that diagnosis of whatever disease or sickness or difficulties you have and, and you don't know what the next step is and nobody's told you and you don't have any ideas so you just have to wait. Waiting is difficult. And we talked about uh, waiting uh, last week. We talked about waiting uh, at, a, at a Friday night uh, for your favorite restaurant. And you know how long that can be. And usually what my family does, and we don't do that on Friday nights because you remember that I uh, don't go out to eat at 8 o'clock at night because I'm an old person now. Uh, but um, probably like a Sunday, if we go to anywhere except for, for uh, Mexican, because you can get in at Mexican just about any time on Sunday. Uh, but if you go to anywhere else, you have to. there's going to be some sort of wait right after services, right? So normally what my family does, does is I send Lena in and uh, she's our secret spy to wait how see how long the wait is and if it's too long we go somewhere else usually to Mexican because you can get in Mexican anytime you want to that's where we usually end up because we don't like to wait nobody likes to wait but there's a difference between waiting on your favorite restaurant and waiting in that emergency room right 
And then there's other kinds of waiting, and another kind of waiting that you probably despise just as much as, as I do, though I found in, in Tennessee that it's not nearly as bad as it was in South Carolina. I think maybe it's just gotten better as uh, the system has gotten better. But what about waiting at the DMV? Anybody like that? You know, you get your ticket number and you go and sit. And, and you, you know, it's again, when you're waiting on a restaurant, you know there's something coming. You're looking forward to the food. When you're waiting, even in the, ho- in the hospital, in the emergency room, you know there's some important information that you have to do. But when you're waiting at the DMV, it's just wasted time, isn't it? It's just completely wasted time. And think back, if you will, in your mind, a time before cell phones when you had to wait at the DMV. You couldn't even distract yourself with social media or checking your email or looking at pictures. You just had to sit there and maybe actually talk to people. Uh, what a not novel concept, right? But waiting at the DMV, we just generally think about, or at least I do, waiting is at the DMV is wasted time. But when we think about biblical waiting, biblical waiting is not uh, inactivity. It's not a, a passive activity. Instead of waiting... Biblical waiting is when we are trusting in and putting our hope in the Lord and for what he's going to bring about. And there's perhaps no better example of that in all of scripture than Noah in Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to read uh, a little bit more of the story that was read to us earlier. A few more details. Think about Noah this morning and consider how we can understand that waiting, again, is not a passive activity biblically, but it's actively, it's purposefully depending on and obeying the Lord. You see, sometimes I think, and I heard this recently on a, a radio station, and I thought it was a good saying, so I want to share it with you. You know, sometimes we think, what is God going to use me to do in 20 years? If I'm faithful to God, how, how many great things is God going to use me to do in the next 20 years? When perhaps God is just wanting you to be faithful for the next 20 minutes. Have you ever thought of that? You know, sometimes we, we might want to say, you know, with my, with my kids, you know, they're going to grow up and they're going to become Christians or, or I'm, I'm working on my neighbor or, or maybe especially when we first become Christians, we think about all these great and grand things or maybe, maybe shepherds or, or deacons. You think about the ministries that you lead, the people that you lead and, and we've got all these grand plans and there's nothing wrong with planning and we need to have a vision. We need to have a purpose. But sometimes we can get distracted by the big picture and our future goals that maybe, maybe just right now. Just right now, God wants you to be faithful. Just when you go to that restaurant here in a little while, or you go home and you're sitting with your family around the dinner table, maybe just in those minutes, what could God use you then to do if you were faithful for just those 20 minutes? Sometimes we get distracted by the big picture or the future or anything else that's coming up, and maybe God just just wants you to be faithful right now. In Genesis chapter 6, we read the story of Noah that many of us are familiar with, but perhaps not all of us. So let's review some of the things that are happening here. In Genesis chapter 6, again, it's on page 5 of the Pew Bible, verses 5 through 8, it says, Then the Lord saw that the evil of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That means that every thought that a mankind had every man in, in the world, every woman in the world, was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted He was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky. For I am sorry, I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Go down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt before God. It continues this description of what it's like, corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their ways upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, 
The end of all things has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and uh, you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. So he gives this plan to God because, to Noah, because Noah has found favor in his sight. Go down to, to verse 17 and 18. It says there, as for me, behold, God says, as for me, behold, I am bringing the flood upon the earth uh, to cover it, to destroy all the flesh in which uh, is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall breathe its last, but I will establish my covenant. I will make this promise to you, Abraham, with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And then, verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him to do, so he did. So we have this, this, this situation that God is faced with that perhaps he didn't expect. There are, there are passages in the scriptures and we, we believe that God knows everything and knows the, the end from the beginning. And I believe that's true. But there are also other passages that tell us that seemingly God is surprised by the, how evil mankind is sometimes. There are certain scriptures that tell us that, that they did evil that never even crossed God's mind. And they had gotten to this point in Genesis chapter six where the earth was corrupt, where cre- creation was corrupt, and certainly the, mi- the minds of mankind were corrupt. And God says, it's over. I'm going to, thankfully because of Noah, I'm going to start over. And he makes this promise. And we turn over to, uh, I'm going to read a couple, three passages in the New Testament uh, to con- continue this connection between what Noah does and what God does through him. So turn with me, if you will, to these three passages. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Again, if you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 1016. First uh, Peter 3 and verse 20 it says the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which that is a few eight persons were brought safely through the water okay so so God is is waiting patiently in the days of Noah what's he waiting patiently for seemingly and we can make connections with other passages that we'll we'll end with in our sermon with here in a few minutes he's waiting patiently hoping perhaps that others more than just Noah's family will come to him will come to God, will come to their senses and will turn from their wicked ways so we can recognize that. Turn over to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, just a few pages over. And it says, He did not spare the ancient world, God didn't, but he preserved Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the earth, uh, upon the world of the ungodly. Two things there we can think about. When we think about the flood, oftentimes I think, and, and probably, I don't think this is incorrect, but when we think about the flood... We think that God saved Noah from the flood. And that's not inaccurate. If Noah didn't have the ark, Noah would have died, right? That makes sense. We understand that he would have drowned just like everyone else in the world drowned. But but not only did God save Noah from the flood, but God saved Noah by the flood. He saved Noah from the world, from the wicked world, by the flood, from the water, uh, and from also the world that he lived in. And then if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. It says, By faith Noah, being warned about the things not yet seen, in reverence he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So again, because he, by faith, he built this ark, knowing and trusting that even though he had never seen a flood, probably had never seen rain before. He trusted God, and because he trusted in God, he was saved by his faith that led him to actions. When we think about Noah and the flood, it's a, a familiar story, again, to, to most of us. 
But when we read some of these passages, especially these, these passages in, in the New Testament and even the kind of the summarizing statements in Genesis chapter 6, we see that Noah was brought safely through or Noah was saved from the flood. But we have to recognize there was so much that happened in between, right? You know, when we read about the, the stories in the Bible, most of the time, and really, I guess any story, you don't read about the mundane details, do you? You don't read about what they ate for breakfast that morning, right? You read about what the hero did later on to save people. You don't read about uh, just the, the little details that, that you may not be interested in, that you may not want to know, that aren't central to the story. You read about the highlights. You read about the, the big things. And with Noah, it is the world is in a terrible place, but Noah finds favor with God. God tells Noah what to do, and Noah does it. And because Noah does it, the flood comes and he's saved. But there's so many details. Now, we know that there were uh, about 120 years, but God tells him before this that uh, he's, he basically gives a countdown of 120 years before he's going to destroy the world. And it seems as if, uh, while Noah probably didn't take 120 years to build the ark, he probably did take somewhere between 50 and 80 years to build the ark. But we don't really have those details, do we? And the reason, some, sometimes the reason that it's so impressive that Noah built the ark in the ancient world is we don't know what tools he used. We don't know what manpower he used. We don't know what uh, animal power he used. We, we, don't, we don't, aren't giving any of those details. We just see that he was brought safely through the flood. And, and many, perhaps like many of us, we just want to get to the end. We just want to get to the accomplishment. We just want to be on the other side of the story. We forget there's a lot of details to think about this. Again, ultimately, Noah is brought safely through the flood. He's saved by God. God's warning, God's instruction, and ultimately, even while he's on the ark in the middle of the flood, God's protection. But did Noah play a part in this? Did Noah play a part in this salvation? Did Noah play a part in this, this action, this activity? Of course he did. He built the ark. He proclaimed righteousness for somewhere between 50 and 80 years, again, while God is being patient during the construction of the ark. And perhaps, while Scripture is not specifically t- doesn't specifically tell us this, we would assume that Noah and his family, his boys, are, are mocked because of what they're doing for this 50 to 80 years. Telling people there's this flood, and, and probably people don't even know what rain is, so what can a flood be? And they're confused by that, and they're building this, this great monstrosity of a, a, a creation, this, this boat, probably. They're probably familiar with with boats but they've never seen anything like the size of the ark and and probably is is mocked because of it in the midst of all of this what's what's the point when we think about waiting and waiting not being wasted you see sometimes i think that we want god's blessings without having to do anything you know noah probably would have said you know god uh, or Noah probably would have liked it. It would have been far easier for Noah if God said, hey, I'm going to make this covenant with you and I'm going to provide you with this ark. There's the ark. That would have been the easier thing, right? That would have been the nicer thing. It certainly would have been something that, that would have made Noah's life far easier and he wouldn't have had to do all of the little things. And maybe like us sometimes, we, we want the blessings, but we don't recognize that there is some work that goes along with it. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, let's read verses 10 through 12. Luke 16, 10 through 12. Here is a, an odd story that Jesus tells, a parable of the, the unrighteous steward. And it's a, it's a little bit of a strange story. But we get to Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 12, and we kind of get the, the point of the story. Here's, here's the, the lesson to be learned, if you will. And this is something that certainly is important for us today when we think about waiting, not being wasted. 
Luke 16, starting at verse 10, he says, He who is faithful in very little things is also faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. There's more to it, but if we just stop there, there's a great lesson to learn there, isn't there? You know, sometimes we think, you know, well, you know, a little white lie, that's not really a big deal. Or we think, well, I, I know this isn't exactly what the teacher wanted, but if I can just cut this corner or, you know, stretch these words out, and I'll, I'll be able to fit it into that number of pages that it has to be, or I'll, I'll increase the margins, or I'll, I'll do all of these different little things, or, or maybe at, at your, your job, there's a certain task that you have to do, but, but you know the tricks of the trade. And with the tricks of the trade, you can, you can make, you can do less work and still accomplish, in theory, what your boss wants you to accomplish, even though you know that's not really what they're looking for. You see, if we're unfaithful in little things, how will God trust us with big things? Look at verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Here in this, this parable, Jesus comes to this conclusion that if you can be faithful in little things, then people will trust you with big things. And, and maybe, maybe far more importantly, certainly far more importantly than little things or with people, is if you can be faithful with little things, then God will trust you with big things. I think this is, really comes down to and boils down to this idea of maturity. And I don't think maturity is something that's popular today. Maturity is this idea that I, I have to become more, greater, better than what I am. And in our world today, nobody ever wants to be told that they're wrong. Nobody ever wants to be told that they have shortcomings. Nobody ever wants to be told that they should do things in a different way. So the idea of maturity, which is all of those things and takes all of those things to accomplish, the idea of maturity is not something that's popular, but it is something that's godly. It is something that's biblical. You see, most of us today, of a certain age at least, would consider the fact that we are different people now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. And we're different people because of age. We're different people because of experience. We're different people because our understanding has grown. And again, all of these are biblical ideas. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We've got to change. We've got to grow in our knowledge, our understanding, and our application of God's will. In Romans chapter 6, it tells us that when we're baptized into Christ, we're raised to walk in what? newness of life there's something new and different and we're supposed to live a different kind of life and we grow into christ and become more like christ there is this maturity and even in james chapter one it says count it all joy brethren when you encounter various trials right and the end of that is so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and that idea of perfection is completeness that you now listen i don't mean this meanly but you are not what god wants you to be God wants you to continue to grow. God wants you to continue to be more like him. Yes, God loves you in spite of your imperfections, but God doesn't want you to hold on to those imperfections. He wants you to grow in those things. What if there's a purpose for waiting? What if there's a purpose in your life for what you may have to wait through? What if waiting gives you time to grow into future blessings and ahead of future difficulties? 
I don't know about in your life, but in my life I can see where God has, has prepared me for negative things that happen that are big by bringing me through some small things that have happened that were negative. And you probably can recognize that too. And again, that's maturity. How do I deal with these little things? And, and can God trust me in these little things? And that will help him to trust me in these big things. But not only negatively, but also positively. What does that mean for our lives as Christians? What does it mean for our lives as followers of Jesus? Where does Jesus come into this picture? In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Again, a familiar passage to many of us. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but he's being patient. Again, the patience of God. He's being patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, there's this, uh, this throne room scene where, where John is called up into the third heaven. He's called before the, the throne room of God. And, and there's, there's lots of pictures going on. But specifically, in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10, there are those who have been slain because of the word of God. And they're, they're presented, they're, they're illustrated as incense. And they cry out because they have been persecuted. They have been slain specifically because of their faith in God. They've been slain and they cry out to the Lord, How long, O Lord? How long is it going to take you, God, until you do something about the people who killed us? If you go back to Revelation chapter 5, again, there's this this beautiful picture. uh, maybe, Maybe one of the best pictures in all of Scripture. Where John is is there and... And he sees the scroll, and he sees the, the problem, he sees the, the corruption, he sees the problem of the earth, he sees the, the sin, he sees the, the persecution of the people who are on earth, the, the persecution of, of followers of God. He sees all of that, and there's this big problem, but then God has this scroll, and, and it seems as if John makes a connection. Okay, that's how God is going to, to fix it. He's going to do something, finally. But then there's another problem. There's no one in heaven. There's no one on earth, there's no one under the earth who can open the scroll. (laughs) The the plan is there, the action is there, but there's no one who can do it. And he begins to weep. And then one of the elders there in that heavenly scene says, he says, behold, the lamb, or excuse me, behold, the line of Judah. And he turns and he sees the lamb of God, the lamb of God slain. The Lamb of God that is in this sacrificial state. In Revelation chapter 6, how long, O Lord? How much longer are we going to wait? In Revelation chapter 5, there's a plan, but no one is there to do it. And he, he turns, and this is the beautiful thing to me. John turns expecting to see the Lion of Judah. This mighty, powerful creature who's going to bring about God's plan. But instead he sees a slain lamb. And Jesus gives us that example that the way that God's plan sometimes gets fulfilled is not in mighty ways, not in big ways, but in sacrificial ways, in ways that are difficult, in ways that are hard. This morning when we think about being in the waiting room, whether it's waiting with uncertainty or waiting for a blessing or, or just, just waiting in, in whatever way we, we recognize, we, we have to recognize that waiting isn't wasted. So this morning, with whatever you're, you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, whatever uh, you're anticipating, what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we are working for the Lord. Noah 
was able to fulfill the, the plan of God because he put in the work. And, and make no mistake about it, I don't want you to walk away with this. Noah's work did not save him. If Noah in his own wisdom would have come up with an idea of there being some, some flood coming and building some kind of ark, he could have built the, the ark to the exact same specifications. He could have done it the exact same way that God said it. And if God had not been on his side, the ark would have sunk and Noah would have died. God is the one who saved him. But God saved him by telling him, hey, I want to save you. Here's how I'm going to do it. Build this ark. And today, if you're not a Christian, God wants to save you. And he's made that possible, not through any work that you will do, but through the work already accomplished by his son, Jesus. And then he simply tells you how to access that salvation. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrected son of God? Will you name him as the Lord of your life? Will you repent of your sins and do things his way? And then will you be buried in the watery grave of baptism? where all your sins are washed away and you can rise to walk in newness of life. That's what 1 Peter 3.21 tells us. In the same way that the water or the ark or the Lord saved Noah, baptism now saves us. There's nothing special about the water, just like there was nothing special about the ark. But that is the way that we have been told to access the salvation of our souls. If you're not a Christian this morning, do you want to be a Christian? There's no reason not to be. If you want to know more about that, we would love to sit down and talk to you about what God's Word says about salvation and about being a follower of Jesus. Uh, this morning, if you are a Christian, we're waiting on the Lord. You know, also in Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 where it says the Lord is not slow about his promise. The reason it says that is because apparently there had been people who Peter had interacted with and, and there were people who were mocking Christians in the first century saying, Hey, where's this Lord? You said he's going to come back. But he's not here. It's been decades now. Where's he at? What are you waiting on? Why are you wasting your time? And then he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, but he's simply being patient with the world because he wants more people to be saved. Brothers and sisters, it's been 2,000 years. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I trust that he is. And I want to be ready when he is. We need to live our lives in a way that prepares us for the coming of our Savior so that we can be with him forever and eternity. If you're, not, if you're a Christian this morning and you haven't been living your life the right way, following Jesus, we encourage you to do so. We want to help you to do so. And if you're not a Christian and you want to know more about becoming a Christian, we'd love to study God's word with you. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.